0: Hello, this is Kerry Levy from the Chels Podcast here, and this is a real surprise here today. We are at the Millennium Hotel at Chelsea Football Ground on Saturday afternoon before the Tottenham Hotspur game. I'm joined with Mr. Angry Andy Saunders. Hello, hello, hello. And our special, special guest is the man who scored 202 goals for us, Mr. Bobby Tambling.
2: Hello, Pleased lovely to, to see in. you. Oh,
0: lovely to see you, Bobby. And thanks for spending the time with us today. It's a pleasure. You're a um, you're actually in a working capacity here today, aren't you? You,
1: you work for the club
2: now. Yeah. Well, it, it's not work really. Uh, you know, it's pleasure. Right. It's talking to um, fans in the hospitality areas of the cl- uh, you know the ground, and uh, you know, like you're talking to people who have the same love for the game as what we do. So it, it is a pleasure.
1: And you, and you still love the game yourself? You still uh, yeah. still watch
2: yeah, a lot of football? I, I still watch a lot of football. I'd still do a little bit of coaching with youngsters at schools and so forth. Um, and you're still quite...
0: banging them in? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I'm trying to teach them, but you can't teach players to be strikers. They're either strikers or they're not.
0: So you're, you're very much of that belief, aren't you, that strikers, they are born to be strikers?
2: I think so. I mean, for me, you know, like people ask... Um, you know what what can you do you know to help people become better strikers and, and it's very difficult if you could coach um players who were you know midfielders or something like that to become strikers then there would be hundreds more strikers around in football and, and but strikers are sort of very hard good strikers are very good uh, very hard to come by
1: what what do you think are the attributes that a really great
2: striker needs He needs to. um, Most most people react in the penalty box, but a good striker anticipates. So he's he's already on the move. You know, well, players are only watching what's going to happen, and that is that means you know half a yard, sometimes not even a half a yard of a boot distance, and it means the difference between you knocking it in with your boot and the defender knocking it away from you. I yeah. read somewhere
1: recently that, um, that you were quite concerned that the, uh, for some time you were called tap-in-tangling. <laughs>
2: um,
1: which is really unfair because it, it kind of illustrates what you're talking about, doesn't it? Which is you've got to be in the right place at the right yeah. time. You've got to be moving. You've got to be mobile.
2: Well, I played in a very good Chelsea side. Um, we were a team. We all came up together. I'm sure people uh, realise that now. That, uh, eight of us had come up through the ground staff and what, would, what now would be called the academy. And we really knew each other's football ways and style. So, you know, like it was like a machine. And, you know, everybody had a a, a, a role to play, you know. And um, mine was, you know, to score goals. Barry Bridges was alongside me. And um, we both scored goals, but in different styles.
1: And he was a real, a real mainstay with you, wasn't he, Barry Bridges? Yeah. What yeah. formation were the, were the
2: team playing when you played in there? <laughs> I could say any number, no, couldn't I? You know? but, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but no, mainly we played 4 um, 4 and Barry and I played up front. Georgie Graham come to the club and we changed style a little bit. We went four-three-three, you know, to um, enable George to play up front. Um, George was completely a, a different type of player to Barry and myself. Barry and I used to like to run off the ball and George, he didn't earn the nickname Stroller for nothing. You know, like, he, he did like the ball played to him. And, um, you know, he was he was brilliant that, with that sort of style of play.
0: Do you think that that team was the beginning of the modern era of Chelsea? Because we've had this reputation over the years as being an exciting team, full of flair players, you know, glamorous, the King's Road and everything. But for me, I, I started supporting in 1970. When that that team of Osgood Hudson and everything had taken over from the early sixties one, but do you think it was your team that actually set us on that path?
2: Well, uh, yeah, I think I think we were a young, exciting um, group of fellows. We loved our game. We we appreciated what we fans meant to us. We didn't play for money, you know. Like we I mean, we got a wage, obviously, but we'd have played this for the uh, honour and pleasure that we got out of playing football. And um, the crowd was sensational to us. And they loved us just as much as we loved them. Because they came here every Saturday and they got an exciting game. Now they didn't always get successful, you know, but we we did have... uh, We'd have been called in today's soccer world, we'd have been called a top four club. And... um, we were so close. I mean, people judge success by how many trophies you've won. Um, that was our problem. We didn't win enough trophies. For, um, and I think we were only still developing. You know, we, you know, we, we were all sort of 20, 21, 22. So we were very young in age as a group and um, given a little bit more experience and um, a tweak of the team. Um, which means, you know, like this one or two little changes, small changes, um, would have made us into, you know, like a really, really good side.
1: And you were the, the, the sort of the middle of a holy trinity of strikers, weren't you? With Jimmy Greaves, and then you, and then of course Peter Osgood yeah. following you. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's quite astonishing to think that that, you know, over that ten-year period, those three strikers who, you know, came to him, all became legends at this club. Yeah. Um, and you presumably had to, you know, you took your chance when Jimmy Greaves was transferred to Milan in 1965.
2: Yeah, I played with Jimmy before he left, and I was very um, pleased to have had that chance to play with a, such a genius, which he was as a goal scorer. And um, you couldn't have learnt from anyone better. What made
1: him a genius as a goal scorer? I mean, I know he scored a lot of goals, he was, but
2: he was cool. And once he got in the penalty area, he was a cool, calm, collected guy. He didn't miss many chances, like, you know, never let them slip away. He anticipated very well, you know, like what was going to happen. You know, like people say, well, what's anticipation? Well, you know, someone's got, lining up to have a shot and you're thinking the keeper's going to drop this and you're on your way. And, you know, if he does. You're there before anybody else can react. So gambling, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And
0: instinctive. Yeah,
2: yeah. That's it. And um, you're like, um, we find that, yeah. When you see it today, you're absolutely um, sort of you point it out straight away to everybody. Now we had an incident here um, a couple of games ago, um, Man United, and um, uh, the um, ball went through very early. And our right winger was on his way. Before it had even been released, he'd moved inside the fullback. The fullback was still, you know, in a fullback's position. Didn't this just is is Pedro, did, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Pedro. Yeah. Uh, Pedro had moved off in about five yards and was on his way, you know, through to the middle. And the fullback hadn't realised what was going on. Like you know, he was sort of stood in his position still. Pedro kept going as the ball was released he then broke into a run and he cut inside between the middle two and the other defender that was there and everybody missed it he wanted to know that that was going on. He, you know if he had reacted to it he would have been the same as all the defenders and they would have been you know like who was going to get there first but he was well clear by the time you know they missed it all the Two in the middle.
1: Well, in fact, in the last game um, uh, against Middlesbrough, when Costa reacted yep. first, you know, from the from the ball dropping down from the corner and smashed it in. That's kind of illustrating what you're talking about. Yeah,
2: right? it, you expect it to happen, and and when it doesn't happen, you know, like you you, you think, well, I took a chance, and it it that never um, come through. But um, you know these people um, that do sort of, I mean, Frank was absolutely brilliant at it. You know, like, sort of Frank done everything a forward would have been doing you know, so when he crossed the half line I always say to people his mindset became a forwards you know, mind and he, he was looking to make runs and he made the runs he'd go near or looked as though so he was going to the near post and then he'd uh, in at the back and
1: so, so Frank Lampard on, on the 11th of May 2013 broke your record and i read that you were sitting in a pub in cork where you now live with some friends and they were all a little bit quiet wondering what you might think about it and i think so i think they
2: were embarrassed for me and how did you feel well i felt relieved to be quite honest because i had so many people asking me will he break your record and at the time there was some doubt as whether frank would be still at the club before you know you know like would he leave before he actually broke it so i'm pleased for him you know to got that close you know i mean like you take kerry dixon kerry got within sort of nine i believe of the record and then moved away and he must think no god if i'd only stayed for yeah you know, another six months i'd have broken it
1: and frank lampard rang you afterwards didn't he after he broke he did he, what, he what rang did he out straight after, after
2: the game and, uh, you know, like, first of all, you know, just the thought of, you know, putting himself out to to do that and um, asked me how, how I f- was feeling. I said, thank you. I feel great. I'm pleased for you, like, you know. And, you know, I think, you know, the people that watch modern football, they want the people who hold these records to be the people they, they're they watching. They don't want some fella from 50 years ago sort of still holding records. And, um and you know, like Frank brought me back to life at Chelsea, really. You had 47 years as
1: Chelsea's record goal scorer. You had a, you had a pretty good run. <laughs> I, did. <laughs> I did. And, um,
2: you know, like it was, um, it was friends more than, um, you know, like, because, you know, you don't like to say, oh, I, I'm, I scored more goals than anybody else at Chelsea. But, you know, like it was your friends who sort of, you know, like Bobby scored more goals than anybody. They, they, done the talking for me really but um, it was it was a lovely record to hold um, when you think of all the famous people that had come after, after I'd left and um, hadn't made the record um, I never believed that it would last forever um, as I don't think Franks will you know but uh, I mean you, there's certain things that have got to fall into place um, first of all they've probably got to start young and they've got certainly most um, stay at the club for a ten years period, where the, with you know probably very few injuries.
0: And also in the in the modern age, very few players stay at a club for for the length of time. I mean, if you actually looked at who would get a testimonial these days, it's a handful of players. Yeah. But the, but the thing I, I wanted to talk to you about, you said something just then about. Frank Lampard sort of reinvented you at the club in a way because he broke your record. I presume you mean from that that people started looking at, wow, this is the guy who scored 202 goals.
2: Well, they actually started to see more of me, you know, like because Frank sort of brought me back into the headlines with the will he get there? Um, And, you know, and when he'd scored and he was sort of, you know, got to the 200. he He's two goals behind Bobby Tamlin and you know you always got a mention when Frank got a mention, I got a mention, like you know because it was me that he was chasing, and um you know like Frank, we always had we got to go get to know each other very well, and you know like you know i I loved the guy, I think he was um such a a gentleman, you know about it all. You know, like he won in your face. Oh, I'm going to beat your record like you know, and all that. Like it was almost as though he was sorry that he was beating the record. Um, but, um, you, know, I lo- you know, I loved it when he did beat it like you know, and, uh, you know, because I was getting worried whether he was going to be at the club, you know, sort of in time for him to finish the job off.
1: And we talk about you have to be at the club a long time. Do you have to take penalties as well?
2: Because there's, there's quite a lot of penalties in there as well. Um, I know Frank took a lot of penalties and people sort of, when they're on my side and um, <laughs> they say, they say you, you didn't take penalties, I said, well, I, I must admit I did, um, but I didn't take as many as what you know, like was given in, in our day. There weren't many penalties given to what's given today. Um, but um, Frank never scored many tappings and I did. So it, is, it equals it out like you yeah.
0: Give software vendor audits the red card by signing up the Livingstone Managed Service Team right away. Call 0203 817 or visit livingstone-tech.com to find out how.
1: Uh, would would Frank make your all time eleven for Chelsea? Do you
0: think
2: he, he's top on my list for his all? You know the best player I've seen at Chelsea. Wow, that's some compliment coming from you.
0: And and that's interesting because actually his first year at Chelsea was a very mixed season, wasn't it?
2: Well, I, uh, and yeah, I'm going to say this, but but these still always rebound on me. Um, when he first came to Chelsea, um, I I only saw him on the telly, like you, know, and we always thought. West Ham players were sort of posers from our day, like, you know, they were sort of all sort of show. And I saw Frank on the telly and I thought, oh no, another West Ham poser, because they pass the ball and they sort of pose in their passing (laughs) style and they're looking, they're watching the ball, like, you know, as though to say, well, I'd made that pass, like, you know. And and I actually um, foolishly said that. Um, to someone, and it was either on the television or in the press, and it's forever lived with me um, that I called him that. And uh, But, I mean, um, he really showed, showed me up, because he definitely wasn't that at all.
0: But that, that's the interesting thing, because actually, since that sort of moment we've had quite a few players who haven't had a great first season like frank like didier drogba and you look around the clubs how many people get pilloried now if they're not great within three months people say oh they're not going to make it and th- th- this is the problem i think with modern football that sometimes people take time to settle in
2: well you know like it's like moving house really if they come from a, a, a different club which they been playing for, for a few seasons they've got into their mode of football their star and the players around them have molded into the, what they're good at so when they come to a new club that's all got to be done gone through again and you know they say about the premiership that it takes a season for any player to um, settle down and bring out his best form
1: it's, it's interesting you mention West Ham because of course you talk about and players developing because of course you scored on your debut age 17 against West Ham in front of the shed and so they're always going to have a problem with you <laughs> um,
2: yeah the West Ham were uh, well, it was enough. a lovely it was outside the box that wasn't a tap yeah. in as well was it that <laughs> no, was, that your, one your that first happened. goal was outside the um, box well, when I actually played with Jimmy um, we played a different style and, and we were old fashioned inside forwards And, you know, like, the inside forwards worked up and down in those days. But Jimmy worked the the front half of the, you know, the team. And I worked more, you know, up and down, like, you know. And we scored different goals. Jimmy scored goals in and around the box. And he was brilliant at it. And we relied so heavily on him for goals. Whereas, you know, because I was um, playing deeper and coming forward, I scored with a lot of long shots. Mm -hmm. You know, like Frank... Was well known for. That's right. And um, so we 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 scored different sort sort of goals, Jimmy and and myself. And um, and then when Jimmy had left and the young players had come through, um, when we all (coughs) played as a team, we we scored different sorts of goals. Mm. Bridio was absolutely brilliant. You know, he he was very very quick, and um, he he must have been a defend a defender's nightmare. Because um, a lot of defenders don't like being run at, and knowing Bridgeo, you you we were taught that if you knew you were quicker, you had to find out if you were quicker than the man marking you. So the first time you got the chance, you run him, and if you tore past him, he knew for you know like it was a boost for you. You think I can beat this fella by pushing the ball past him. And it was a downer for the defender because he realised he, he was in trouble with speed. Like you know, So mm-hmm. he'd lay off you a bit you know, and make sure that you didn't catch him.
0: So the, the, going back to Frank putting you in the public eye as well, once you got back in the public eye, um, I mean, your book's come out, which um, you wrote with Richard Godden. Um, was that all because you, you suddenly thought, actually now's a good time to tell my story because people are taking notice of of myself and maybe it's a, a, an interesting story to tell what what made you decide to do the book well the, the, the people, book's
1: called sorry the book's called Goals in Life isn't it is not that, it yes, that's yes, what it's called yes, it's yeah, about Bobby yeah. Tambling, yeah
2: well i'd been asked for a good few times beforehand um, would i you know write a book you know, like by different um, people that would be you know willing to help and i've never seen myself as um, uh, a problem boy You know, like, I'm just run-of-the-mill normal guy.
1: No controversy.
2: And, um, exactly. You know, know, nothing to sort of say, God, this fella was this and that, you know, like, he'd fight with his, you know, teammates and all that, And whereas people would say, Oh, right, I must read this and see what, you know, what's happening. I'm just run-of-the-mill. And, um, it was the actual club spoke to me, and I, I said, would you be interested in, you know, writing your autobiography? And I thought, well, you know, like, I'm getting older. And, you know, like, I would like to write the book. And it's the best thing I, I think I've done for a long, long while because, you know, going through the memories of, you know, like, the life that we led, um, it was... I suggested that we call the book Living the Dream because that was what I actually done, you know, like... Right from the age of 10, I dreamed of being a professional footballer. And um, the book actually shows how determined I was to give, a, give it every chance that happened in my life. I funked exams so I wouldn't go to rugby schools, you know. Um, you know, like I'd done everything that, that would help me become a professional. And, um, you know, like writing it, It was like going through your life very slowly, you know, whereas when you talk about it with a group of people, it sort of flashes, you have these memories flash back, you know, when you're talking to your teammates of, you know, old, but when you're actually putting it down on paper, it's like seeing it, you know, on camera and, um, you know, like it was so emotional to write that I... You know, enjoyed every moment
1: but it did it take a long time I it think?
2: took a long time mm. partly because i was in hospital and i didn't know re- really where i was um and people who, who were very close to me will tell you what a laugh it was for them because i used to tell them some weird stories you know because i was on such uh, strong medication uh, for a long while i thought i was I was in a submarine. So we um, talk,
1: yeah, so you were you were in hospital for four months in 2013 with something called Martirelli's ulcer, is that right? Which yes. is a leg condition caused by high blood pressure. Yeah, and they didn't know what it was for a long time.
0: No, that must they, have been a very frightening time for you. Well, you um, said you were in a submarine.
2: Well, that, that's that's what I thought it was. I was so drugged up that. Uh, you know, like, I, I, I was convinced that I was laying in the submarine and I could hear, you know, when you see a, a film with, with submarines in it, there's always a, a dink, you know, like, in the background, isn't there, in the sound? The echo sounder, dink, yeah. Dink, yeah. Well, I, I thought I could hear this every morning. And uh, I think, God, you know, like, where am I? You know, where's the door out? And all this, like, you and um so, you know, like, it was very difficult for me then to... Um, put it all together you know and get back to writing the book you know I'd go through a period where I was poorly and then you know I'd get over it and then I'd write a bit more and um you know you know like the help I got from Richard um you know like he he would sort of say look can you write a bit more about this um people sort of say well did you write the book yes you know like I I was uh, very kind and polished it up and you yeah, know, ed- edited it for you. Yeah, made yeah. it you know, uh, you know, much more uh, comfortable read. You know, mm. and well, it's uh, a ve- it's a
0: very readable book. I mean, I-, I like it because it's 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 got an old fashioned wonder about the tale. You know, that you, you're a kid kicking the ball around in the street, whatever. All you want to do is go and play football. As you say, you avoid going to rugby playing schools. And it's all that, that dream thing that we forget. You know, now parents are always bullying their kids to get better at football or to do this. You've got to get into that. And it, it took me back in time, I, I felt. And it also just made me realise how much I love football. And sometimes we forget that in the modern age of such big finance and what have you.
2: Yeah, I, well, I, you know, like it, it's really... Um... I think a little bit old-fashioned, like, you know, because we we were sort of um, a sporting family through the... not through the parents, because neither parent were sports, you know, people. Um, But it was all through the um, brothers and sisters that um, we were all sportsmen. And, um, you know, like, the the brothers were very encouraging. And uh, one of the brothers... um, Sort of suggested I went to Chelsea, um, mainly because he was a Chelsea fan. Um, but it was you know like turned out to be the best move I, I probably ever made.
1: You're um, so you're 75 years old now. You were born in 1941, is that right? Uh, yeah. In Sussex, but you were a Blackpool fan. I read. How, how did
2: that <laughs> yeah. come about? Well, in those days, there was no television, so any any sports uh, personality that you um, fell in love with. Um, would have to have been through magazines, sports, you know, uh, you know football magazines and the, the newspaper. And uh, the guy that I come to adore as a player was um, Stanley Mordison at Blackpool. And, um, you know, like he was, you know, like he played centre forward for Blackpool, he scored goals, he scored a hat trick when they won uh, in what was now called the Stanley Matthews. And I really feel sorry for the guy because he scores a hat trick and they named the um, final after Stanley Matthews, like you. and uh, I just thought he'd have been heartbroken.
0: Should have been the Stans final. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that really it, yeah.
2: But, but,
1: uh, And you were signed to Chelsea by Ted Drake, is that right? Yes. And, and so how did that come about? How did that whole process well, of you getting signed by Chelsea I, come about?
2: I was um, t- um, spotted by Chelsea Skull, and to me, this fella... Was a magician in digging out um, players that were going to make a big name for themselves uh, in in soccer. Um, and a guy called Jimmy Thompson, or um, a cockney, and um, a true cockney. What I call a true cockney because he was so funny. Um, I always say this about a lot of the lads came from you know were cockneys themselves. And that's what made the club the club easy to play with, um, because they were so funny. You know, like people like Terry Venables, Kenny Shalitow, uh, the Harris brothers. They all sort of come from that sort of area. And far from the um, East Enders television programme where they show they seem to be all miserable, <laughs> um, these lads were all you know like particularly funny. My um, mum
1: went out with Terry Venables. He lived next
2: door to in Dagmar. Uh, well, <laughs> well <laughs> Terry Ter- Ter- was one of the biggest comedians that he'd ever come across. But going back to Jimmy Thompson, Jimmy, I uh, he was a magician, really was, you know, like, he was, um, you know, like, he didn't mean to be funny, but it was just that his stole, you know? And um, you just fell in love with the guy, like, in the sense that he would just turn up at your door. You know, like, I'm living on the south coast. He's up in London. And he, you know, like, he'd just turn up on your door and you no know, sort of, look, I'll come down and see you next Tuesday or anything like that. He'd just a rattle on the front door and, you know, go and answer it and take him into the front room. You know, in those days, everybody had a front room that was only used at Christmas and um, <laughs> holiday periods like that. And um, he'd talk to you and he would sort of understand... where you were and what was you know seemed to know what was on your mind and um, you started to believe that this guy and the club that he represented was the best thing in football
1: so there were other clubs looking at you as well
2: there was um, I tell the story about Wolves over um, sort of about six week period they wanted me to sign at first two weeks later they decided that um, that I wasn't up to their standard and they sort of said that they didn't want to sign me. And in the two weeks after that, I'd played another schoolboy international game and scored a couple more goals in that. And they would changed back to that was all a mistake two weeks ago. We do really want you to come up here and um, you know sign for us. And you know, like to have a, someone or a club to change their mind so quickly and so easily. Um, Doesn't fill you with confidence, does it? No, it <laughs> and Blackburn, uh,
1: I think, were looking at you as well. Is that right?
2: Uh, there was um, Reading. Funny enough, the, the funniest thing about um, the schoolboy, um, I lived, you know, very close to Portsmouth. And, you know, like, our school, you know, would have been in the news because we we were absolutely um, fantastic side, And... Um, the, uh, I never even got a phone call from him, and, <laughs> and, and Reading came in and, and, of course, the manager at Reading was Harry Johnson. And he was playing at Blackpool when Maldison was there, so I'd know a bit about him. I felt I knew him, you know, really well. And he came in, he was a real gentleman. Um, couldn't it um, get me to change my mind about Chelsea? but gave me a good, sound advice, and he, he suggested, do not uh, take a club close to home, he said, because everybody will want to guide your career. You know, friends, family. He said, if you can get away from the area, yeah, it would be the best advice I can give you. And it was. And I come to Chelsea, i homesick for the first two or three weeks, um, said yeah. I wanted to go back to Haylin, and... Um, you know sort of live there and this is where you know like the experience of Mr Drake came in without thought of too much thought he said listen if we let you go home every week you know because they paid for us to go home once a month he said if we pay for you to go home every weekend would that be would that make you feel a lot better and of course it did but the thing is that only sort of needed two or three months and I was back in you know, never wanted to go home, you know, in a, you know, for, you know, like, every week.
1: Did all these very sophisticated London Cockney teammates treat you as a bit of a country bumpkin at first?
2: Um, well, the three of us that were in digs together, we were all country bunk- bumpkins. So we, we had a good laugh amongst ourselves, like, yeah, because one come from Norfolk, one from Suffolk, and I was from Hampshire. So we were real country boys. Yeah, we took a fair amount of stick from the uh, London uh, <laughs> side of um, the club. But um, it, um, it, it was this growing up, you know, like with these lads and, you know, like they felt really, you, you really felt close to them and that's what made, um, when the side started to split up in the middle 60s, mm-hmm. you know, um, that made it that much harder because these lads had been, you know, like when you're growing up from being a schoolboy to, a, you know, becoming a man, uh, you've got really close to these guys and you've worked with them so long but
1: it must have been difficult in 1967 of course when you lost the FA Cup and Greaves and Venables were in that Spurs team that beat us
2: yeah um, I think the biggest disappointment for us was that we all realised that we never really turned up as players that day we were poor very poor and You know, like, you're disappointed. You're disappointed whenever you're losing the cup, whether it's in the semi-final or the final. Um, But we were disappointed for the fans because we'd been so close in the years leading up to the time we got to the final. We'd been to two semi-finals, been beaten in both those, and the poor old fans were (laughs) trudging up to Villa Park, you know, like, near enough every year for two or three years. And suddenly we were in the final and they thought well this is it this has got to be you know like the moment we've been waiting for and we were you know like as though we never even turned out like you
1: scored though didn't you you scored in the 85th minute I seem to remember yeah it was very late um, he doesn't really
0: remember he wasn't even born too. was then. Two. <laughs> two. <laughs> yeah. I remember from my research
2: oh All right But um, yeah I'd scored a header um, and um, you know which was very sort of um, unreal you know because Jennings yeah, you know, like Pat had the biggest hands you'd ever seen, and he was a great goalkeeper. He come out and he actually missed the cross, and the cross came. You know, like I was coming in from behind him. So um, to say I headed the ball uh, would be sort of probably exaggerating the true fact. That the, the ball hit me on the head and um, just about made the back of the net I don't know they all count Bobby yeah (laughs) I mean the point was that we had five minutes to get an equaliser and you'd thought we'd have pounded them for those last five minutes and that never really happened you know it it wasn't talking about football it's talking about you know, spirit, and it didn't seem to be that...
1: What do you put that down to, just being overawed on the, by the occasion? We maybe? were
2: overawed, I think. Yeah. I think we were kept very relaxed, you know, which you can understand the manager wanting to keep us relaxed, not tense up and, you know, not play from the reason that you're all tensed up. So Tommy kept us, you know, nicely this is Tommy relaxed. Tommy Doherty, yes? Yeah. yeah. And, but I think we were too relaxed because when we got to walk out the tunnel... And suddenly, you know, like there's 100,000 people there and you realise you're at this showpiece of football, world football, I think. And, you know, like we sort of... All I can start to think of was that we froze. And I don't think many of us could say that we played up to anywhere near our club standard.
1: Two years before... Sorry, just two years beforehand, though, the year I was born, 1965, um, you'd won the League Cup final. Which yep. is uh, against Leicester over two legs, three two. Yeah, and that was a much happier experience, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, very happy. Um, in fact, it was. We thought it was the first of many trophies to follow, um, but in fact, it ended up the only trophy that we won. Um, yes, it was a you know a big occasion. Uh, although it wasn't at Wembley in those days, uh, and it was two-legged. We played at home first, and we we won three two thanks to a. Eddie McCready Wonder goal Eddie um, w- was selected uh, in the centre forward position and like always Eddie would give 110% in everything he'd done he was very quick um, very uh, strong because he wasn't a big massive guy he was sort of um, very much like um, Georgie Best was you know um, not in style but in size and we got the ball. The, the pitch was absolutely a mud mud bath at Stamford Bridge, and Eddie picked the ball up in our own half and started off on a run to their goal. And I was probably the closest player to him, and I was took the path down through the middle. And Eddie was sort of going through the old inside right position. He had two defenders between him and um, Gordon Banks, and he went past both defenders and. Banksy started to come out to him. And I was probably on the edge of the area, screaming like mad for him to cross the ball to me because I had nothing but an empty net in front of me. But Eddie took on Banksy and netted. So it was really a wonderful goal.
0: Which and no one has ever seen, have they? Other no, than the I don't think I've
2: ever, I've ever seen it in a replay or anything like that. And we, we gave him so much stick, like, you know, it was a wonderful goal. And it, it put us in front, you know, we won the game.
1: You scored as well, didn't you, in that game?
2: I scored in the run, uh, I, sco- I think I scored the second goal. And uh, we were given Eddie stick. I said to Eddie, why didn't you pass to me? I was clear as a bird inside. He said, look, he said, I've used you what you're best as. I said, what's that? He said, being a dummy. <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh, thanks very much. I'm glad I helped you out. Did you get um, goal
1: bonuses in those days? You know, so no, you didn't. Uh, I right. don't
2: think that's. I honestly don't think that's a good idea. Um, p- p- playing a pa- player who's playing in a position that he should score goals, um, surely that's going to um, get him to go for goal more than he should. You know, sometimes you think, well, I'm getting an extra. Uh, Amount of pounds for this, I go for goal. Whereas you should lay it off, um, and you know you get the goal, but not in, under your name.
1: Yeah, because I, I mean, I asked you off tape whether you were whether you thought you were a selfish striker. And um, Gary, our producer, said, um, "Well, you must be scored so many goals." But you you said no. You were you know if somebody was in a better position, you'd pass to them.
2: Well, I think you, you know you you're always looking to score goals as a striker. You know, a good striker, you know, like that's what he wants to do: score goals. You know, we had a player play. You know, was was a magician as a footballer, Charlie Cook, and I'd have loved to have had all Charlie's skills, but Charlie didn't want. You know, didn't seem to enjoy. You know, like I know that's this sounds stupid, but he didn't seem his enjoyment came from beating people, and uh, you know, like taking them on again and beating them again, and he could dribble, he could pass. And even if, you know, when he shot, he was, a, you know, he had good feet. But he just didn't seem to be, well, I've got to go for a goal here. And that, that hunger that was in strikers um, didn't seem to be with people.
0: So I suppose, really, that whole 60s set-up, which, as I've said before, set everything up for, I think, modern Chelsea, um, it was also quite a traumatic period in certain ways, because players that were becoming key parts of the team were moved out or moved on. And it never seemed to make a lot of sense to me why people like Greaves went or whatever, or Venables or or Bridges. But there was the the famous incident, wasn't there, with the the whole Blackpool set up, which in a way really knocked what was becoming a very, very good side, A, out of the race for the title, and B, perhaps getting to where they should have been.
2: Well, you know, like it was, you know, like, I think, um, over-exaggerated, you know, like, and the result was that some of the players felt that they wanted to move on because of it. So Um, what actually happened? Not a lot, to be quite honest. And the fact that the way it was dealt with, you know, people wanted to make more of it than what it was. It was a... um,
1: what's the story because I think a lot of the listeners won't actually know what, what the story is well
2: we were in the chase for the tro- uh, the league championship uh, we had three games left to play all up in Lancashire Liverpool was the first game and we got beat on the Easter Monday and that really put us in a very poor position because it, we then to win the championship we had to depend on United and Leeds getting beat and we were, everybody, you know, within that group that was up there were disappointed. And um, when we went back to the Blackpool, because we were staying in Blackpool for the whole of the three games, uh, the manager came out and said, uh, 11 o'clock back here in the, in the hotel. And this was Monday, and we weren't due to play a game, another game until the next Saturday. So it was sort of almost a week between the time that we we lost at Liverpool to the next game, and we found it. I think everybody found it a little bit odd that we were put on a, such an early curfew that early in the week, and uh, we we got back to the hotel in time, pleased as punch, Tommy, that we you know followed these demands, and then told us. Um, look, there's a bar downstairs, a snooker table, lads, you can go down there as long as you like. So it sort of seemed to be, you know, sort of a different thought. contradictory, yeah. But anyway, we got fed up with, you know, playing snooker, you know, one table between 18 of us. Um, So, you know, we we called it a night and went off to bed. But um, some of the lads decided that they did want a later drink and they left out through the fire escape and um, you know like when that was found out by the night porter and Tommy it was explained to Tommy what had happened um, you know when they checked the rooms and found it was the Chelsea players involved um, Tommy decided that he you know send them home mm. which was okay people say well they've done wrong yes they done wrong but it it wasn't the end of the world for us, you know. A fine within the club, you know, like no-one else would know, a fine would have done, suffice, surely. You know, it would have hit the lads because they broke his um, call and no-one else would have known it would have been within the club. But with sending us home, or sending the, the eight lads home, it became, you know, public news and, you know, like there was an uproar in Blackpool about eight players being sent home and you know like it almost became a joke because Mm. the lads were on the train and um, they pulled in at a station in London and uh, they were looking at the you know like ready to get off the train and they could see all these press boys you know cameramen and they said oh there must be someone famous on the train (laughs) not knowing that the press were there waiting for them to take their photos and you know, like it sort of become a bit of alarm until suddenly uh, it built up and built up, and the stories that came out or made up by the press themselves. You know, like to make this an important story, it sort of caused a lot of problems.
1: Did you like Tommy Docherty as a manager? Do you think he was a good manager? Tommy bought some good players in because obviously uh, after it, he got relegated and came to he bought in Bonetti, yeah. he bought in. Uh, um, Gary uh, Moore, of, yeah, uh, Graham Moore, absolutely. Venables, he bought in as
2: well. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, like he used all the young players yeah. that, that he had coming through the youth scheme. He wasn't uh, afraid to um, use those, and he actually molded this side that suddenly got splattered about like you. Know? I mean, players left, Venner left. We we had a, a year in, um, I think it must have been sixty four, sixty five, where he had. Um, something like fifteen or sixteen different goal scorers through the for, through the season, which must have been a, a real strange event. Four goal scorers, that three of us got over twenty, and the fourth got nineteen what? goals in the season. So, <laughs> incredible. You know like incredible as as you say, no, uh, probably incredible for that time in itself. And within a season or two, I was the only one left of the four that got so many goals and um, I mean after
1: such a hugely successful decade in the 1960s the 1970 uh, FA Cup final was a disappointment for you because I think you only played seven games in 1970 and you weren't selected for the FA Cup final was that a blow for you?
2: No Uh, you know like I was disappointed to to miss out on them winning the you know like for all the near misses that we had had through the 60s but um, the actual seventy season was uh, disaster for me from a, an injury point of view and um, yeah, by the time I was really fit to come back and play um, the team had settled down and you know like you've got to be honest with yourself in the game as well as being honest with other people um, and I could see that this side was you know, a lot better than what we had been playing previous to the side coming together so they'd gone 19 games without losing the manager who was Dave Sexton at the time uh, would have used his head and said look this is the side that you know, got us so far, done so well You know, I've got to stay with it and that's what he'd done so it was no surprise to people that had um, been left out who had been perhaps um, regulars early in the 60s so um, it was no surprise for me to you know, not be involved in the cup funnel, although I was disappointed disappointed for myself but not disappointed for the club. You know, the fans deserved that that enjoyment of watching Chelsea win the cup. And I, I you know, I loved it. We, we, you know, we went to uh, Manchester after the draw at, uh, at Wembley and we were t- as delighted as anybody to think that, you know, like we'd actually won the cup, which we found so hard to uh, do. So, I mean, coming forwards, you
0: know, y- y- you were at Chelsea for many years uh, during the 60s and things, um, and then you sort of left the club and went off with your own life and things. Well,
1: joined Palace and joined, joined 68 Palace. games and scored goals for them, and then went played football in Ireland. So your career continued for a while after that, didn't it?
0: Yeah, and but you know, all of this can be you know, you can read about your life in the book because we don't want to tell everybody everything. Um, but. For a lot of fans, the first time they saw you for a long time there was the time you came back and you went round the the um, stadium in the wheelchair, um, waving to everybody, and it was a, a very emotional um, day. I mean, can you remember which game it was? It was Swansea. Swansea. Yeah,
1: it was. Uh, yeah, it was. It was the Swansea game, and it was an emotional game um, in uh, two thousand and thirteen. With your, I think with
2: Val and with your brother-in-law, yeah, Yeah. that's right. Um, I had had sort of reappeared, you know, but not sort of too much and not too much on the, you know, like sort of being presented to the crowd, you know, at at home games. Um, I'd never lost touch. I had lost touch, you know, like when I went to Ireland, I lost uh, touch with the club. I was not seen probably for. 15, 20 years, I, and that was that was down to me because I didn't want um, people thinking, oh, he's trying to hang on to the fact that he was, you know, the record goal scorer and like that. I didn't want that sort of image to be portrayed, you know, like people thinking that, you know, like I, you know, sort of wouldn't let go. And um, I just got on with my own life, and um, you know, when the club asked me to. You know, come back. I, I can remember coming back and uh, making a fool of myself with Ken. Ken Bates. Ken had invited us up for a game against Arsenal, and I was uh, out on the pitch. You know, a long time before the game started, just having a look at this, this wonderful stadium that um, was there. And uh, Ken came walking down to me, and I said, "Thanks, Mr. Bates, for uh, saving my club." And he said, "I think you mean my club, don't you?" <laughs> yeah I think well that just that, yeah that yeah. sounds like the Ken Bokes I know but um, you know like um, but you know like slowly and over a period of time um, you know like I, I've been seen more often I've, I've been seen more often at the club and then the the chance to, to work with you know the other lads in hospitality was a wonderful opportunity to get to know the fans and let the fans know that you're are still around.
1: It's it's amazing that you're back, that you're that you're in our thoughts again. That you know that we can fully um, appreciate what you've done for our club, uh, the goals you scored. The Amazing contribution you've made to Chelsea Football Club, and as Kerry says, I think part of the revolution that sees where we are now at the very, very top of the game. And I think I speak for, for both myself and Kerry when I say you are a true legend, and you know we really appreciate the time you've given us. You can read about uh, Bobby's life and his career in Goals in Life, um, which has got a forward by Frank Lampard. Can be can get that on on Amazon and any other good booksellers. And um, you know, I, I personally just want to say I'm honoured to meet you, and it's been a real pleasure.
0: Thank you very much. And uh, and I'd like to say thank you ever so much. And I'd like to say thank you also to the club for remembering our former heroes and bringing them back to life and bringing them back to the club. I think I think it's a wonderful thing. Um, I'd just like to say also thank you to Chelsea and Nick at the Copthorne Hotel and the Millennium Hotel for given us a chance to sit down with you which when it's a busy afternoon for you and also to gary hayes who's one of our usual presenters um who's uh, put this all together and who's actually the sound man and it's so weird having gary so quiet because he's normally very very noisy <laughs> and richard of course and no. <laughs> and of course i was just going to say and richard godden who um uh, did the book with you but most of all i'd like to thank you very much bobby for spending time with us Uh, it's been an absolute honour absolute privilege and I wish you all the very best
2: thanks very much can I just say thank you to all the fans for how they've um, treated me since um, you know since I've been seen more at Chelsea and um, you know like I I feel as though I've never been away and um, a lot of getting over the illness was down to the way the fans reacted you know for me and wishing me uh, sending good wishes to, for me to be back on my feet. And uh, that's what helped me to do that, to get back and want to please them and see them again. Thank you.
0: Brilliant. Well, I think for a lot of fans, you've never been away. This has been the Chelsea. This has been Andy, myself, Bobby Tambling. Goodbye.
1: If you like this podcast, come and join me, Mark Webster, for The Whistleblowers, a weekly show that looks at the topics that all football fans are discussing this week at thewhistleblowers.net. And it happens to be brought to you by the same lot that produced this one Sports Social Podcast Network.